Welcome to the Strong for Performance podcast, where we give coaches and consultants practical ideas for taking you to the next level in your business and in your life. I'm your host, Meredith Bell. I interview experts who've walked in your shoes and offer real-world experience that you can apply to your own journey. Welcome to another episode of the Strong for Performance podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and I am, I guess I could say, beyond excited today to have as my guest, John Rulin. John, welcome to my show. Hey, Meredith. Thanks for having me. This is going to be a lot of fun. It is going to be fun, and I'm so excited because I've known of John and connected with John probably four years ago uh, because of his wonderful book, Giftology, and uh, he had just published it in 2016, and I've been recommending it to folks ever since then, and we're going to spend a lot of time today talking about his book, but first let me give a little bit more formal introduction and background, because John's history and what he's doing now are so interesting. He's the co-founder of the Rulin Group, and he's the author of Giftology, as I mentioned. And this is one of my favorite books, John. I have given it as a gift, as you know, to many people, and I've recommended it, continue to recommend it to this day, because it's the best book out there about gift giving to others. What's interesting is John's background. He was a rural Ohio farm boy who decided to earn money in college by selling knives in people's homes. And he went on to become the top seller for Cutco knives out of 1.5 million other reps and distributors. And so with that kind of success, he was then asked to speak on stage around the country to teach sales and marketing teams how to build relationships in unconventional ways. So today, John and his team at Rulin Group have created gift packages for some of the largest companies and pro sports teams in the world. But this is important for my listeners because most of them, uh, John, you'll be interested to know, are smaller business owners. And John and his team really have at the heart of their mission um, for the past 20 years finding ways to serve and take relationships to another level for these smaller and mid-sized companies. So they have a proven process that we're going to explore today. I've got lots of questions for John based on his book and other things that he's published recently. So John, let's jump in. And the first thing the first thing I want you to do is tell us a little bit more about this journey from your family to selling Cutco knives and being such a star with that and now with your own business. Yeah, well, I, I mean, like a lot of interesting stories, it, you know, humble beginnings is not unusual for a lot of people that have gone on to be successful. I grew up in Ohio, you know, Midwest farm boy. I didn't grow up in LA or New York with cool connections and country clubs and pro sports teams. I, you know, I grew up basically never flying anywhere, going anywhere outside the state of Ohio until I was 17 years old. So I grew up milking goats every morning. I grew up one of six kids. We had a one-acre garden. We lived on 47 acres in a town of 407 people in Delroy, Ohio. Um, so when you grow up, hum, you know, humble beginnings and kind of hungry, you go want to go kind of make your mark in the world. And so I thought I was going to go be a doctor. 
and was undergrad to go to med school. And my life changed because I was, you know, I, I always thought people out that were double and triple my age to get mentored by. And in this particular case, as I'm interning with Cutco to pay for college, my girlfriend's dad was a mentor of mine and he was this rainmaking attorney, small firm, you know, in Ohio. And he, but he was really generous. When you're poor, you notice when people are really generous. And Paul was the guy who was like buying like semi loads of noodles and like everybody at church the next Sunday would walk away with like 20 cases. I'm like, Paul, that was like 40 grand. Are you nuts? And it wasn't a tactic for him. It was just how he showed up for people. And so I, uh, you know, Paul was involved in banks and oil wells, all these things. And so I pitched him the idea of giving away pocket knives to all of his clients because they're all CEOs of million and billion dollar companies. They're men, they're into the outdoors. And Cutco made, you know, $100 pocket knife, which is, you know, like a pretty expensive pocket knife. And Paul got this little twinkle in his eye. And, you know, even though I'm pitching my girlfriend's dad and I, he didn't make me feel uncomfortable. It was one of the more awkward things I'd ever done. I'm like sweating bullets. <laughs> and uh, he changed my life forever. He's like, John, I don't want to order pocket knives, but I do want to order a bunch of the $150 piece parry knives. And I'm like, Paul, you want to give a kitchen tool to a bunch of CEOs in business? I'm like, I don't understand the connection. And he changed my life forever. He said, John, it's not about, he's like, one of the things I figured out in like 35 years of business is you know the reason I have more referrals and deal flow and access and engagement is that if you take care of the family and business, everything else takes care of itself. So for me, it was like this like master class on relationship building. And for Paul, he understood if you made deposits into people, they would naturally want to reciprocate. And so it's like Robert Chaudine's book, which I never read at that point in time, called Influence. But Paul was a master at deepening relationships, staying top of mind, engaging people and taking care of what we now call the inner circle with their spouse or their assistant. Like he, he just treated the janitor at the same level as the CEO. And I looked at Paul and I'm like, I want to be him when I'm 60 and I'm 20 at the time. And so I just started to mimic these things. And so I'd invest $300 in a carving set from Cutco instead of buying beer in college, I was investing in people. And I would get meetings with these CEOs of these, you know, five, 10, 20, $200 million companies. And, uh, and I realized, I started to understand, like, it wasn't about the knives, although to this day, we still sell millions of dollars in the knives. The knives were a delivery vehicle for an emotion. And connecting with people emotionally was what mattered. And so I ended up putting med school on hold permanently and started this basically a agency, a marketing agency to use gratitude and gifting and generosity, not swag, not trinkets, not promotional items, but true gifts to drive in some cases a thousand X ROI or we call it an ROR, return on relationship. And so that's what I've been doing the last 20 years, but it all goes back to lessons I learned from Paul, this small law firm owner uh, in, uh, in Ohio. It's, uh, it all ties back there. No, it's really amazing. There were so many um, lessons you took away from him. And I'd love for you to talk about the, um, the, the definition you give to your book, Giftology, since that's a term that would be new to my listeners who haven't read your book. And also the phrase radical generosity, because you yeah. use that and that just hit me because it really causes you to think at a whole different level. Yeah. Yeah, well, giftology and radical generosity can kind of be interchanged. But giftology, even when I speak, like I just spoke to a group of, you know, in some cases, billionaires last week out in Orange County. And you can tell, like, whether you're a pro sports team or whether you're a mom and pop pizza shop, nobody wakes up and says, man, if I had a gifting strategy, 
that was amazing, my business would flourish. Um, but everybody would say their business rises and falls based upon the value of their relationships, relationships with investors, mentors, clients, employees, like all of our personal and professional lives, like human beings are what determine whether we're successful or not or whether we have fulfillment. And so being like what I saw in Paul was most people say, what's the least I can get away with in this relationship? How can I cut corners? You know, I haven't seen this nephew that's getting married in 10 years. Do I have to do $200 or is, you know, is $100 enough? And what I saw in Paul and really all relationships is that if you show up and give a little bit more than what's necessary, if you, if you say, what's the most I can do? And instead of like holding on to your generosity, but if you're radically generous with people, people respond and relationships flourish. And tangible gifts just happen to be one way to show somebody that they matter, that you care about them, that you were thinking about them, that they're not just a number. And so, yes, like, you know, in America, we all have enough stuff. We don't need more trinkets and swag, but I don't even call them gifts anymore. We call them artifacts because it, you think about an artifact, it's something that if your house was on fire, you'd go grab it and, and save it, be four or five things. And not necessarily the most expensive thing. It's the thing that has the most story and meaning attached to it. So mm -hmm. it might be a flag that your dad served in the military, or maybe it's pictures, or maybe it's something that your great grandfather passed down. It's a, it has story and meaning to it. And so when somebody gives something to you, like the stupid knives, it's not about the knife. It's about the fact that it was given by somebody that you respect. It includes your spouse's or family name. If you're a person of faith, maybe a, there's a scripture verse engraved into it. So it's not that somebody can't go buy their own knives or whatever we're talking about. It's the fact that from one human to another human, somebody said, I, I'm thinking about you and I care about you and your family. And when you start to position it that way, it's like, oh my gosh, like radical generosity has a, the ability to change relationships into, you know, like all these people want to be in marketing top of mind and liked and trusted. And I'm like, guess what? Like if you're a really good, get, thoughtful gift giver, you can accomplish all three of those in a way that you're publicly traded competition. You're a $2 million company. You can go beat the bigger guys with more money because they can outspend you, but you can be more creative and thoughtful than they can be. Mm -hmm. and, and that's really the core. I love working with David's against Goliath. Like we have all kinds of companies that are sub 10 million as clients and they're going up against companies a hundred times their size and they're winning because they're loving on their relationships with this generosity and they're not doing an ad hoc at a check the box time like Christmas. They're thinking about that relationship holistically. That brings up one of the questions I wanted to ask you. I've got these who, what, when, where kind of questions for you that I yeah. think will be really valuable for my listeners. So what, there are two aspects of the when or time that I want to talk about. And one is one of the chapters in your book that just really stuck with me was this idea that, you know, time is really precious that this other person has given to you if they've agreed to a meeting or a call with you. And yep. so looking for ways to acknowledge that in addition to not doing something at the, you know, typical Christmas time of year. So talk about both of those aspects of time. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll speak to the Christmas element and I liken it to, you know, I'm married. I got four daughters. If I, if I take care of my wife at anniversary, birthday, Christmas or Valentine's day, like those are table stakes. Like I don't earn brownie points for taking, like doing something on the anniversary. Like that's kind of expected. Mm -hmm. Just like doing a gift after a deal's done. People are like, Oh, a deal's done. I want to give a gift. I'm like, you have a limited budget. 
the, the two times you should send a gift are just because. Um, so you're sending things to people, not because of a referral. If you give a gift after a referral, you just turn that relationship into a transactional relationship. And so many people don't realize what they're communicating with the timing of their gift mattering just as much, if not more than what you're actually sending. And so when we lay out what's a relationship plan for a company, one of the things we say, we, we like, we have to weave in planned randomness. We have to lay out a time two to four times a year for employees, clients, investors, whoever it is that you're sending the gift just because I was thinking of you. And that's how you can send the same gift to 10 people or 10,000 people. And the person gets, it's like, I didn't do a deal. It's not Christmas. It's not my birthday. I, I didn't refer. Why am I getting these gifts? And it feels different to be just appreciated based upon the value of the relationship and just being a person. So even a sucky gift at, a, at the right time can have more impact than an amazing gift at the wrong time. And that's where people think, oh, John, I did giftology. It doesn't work. And I'm like, did you follow the recipe? And they're like, well, I did giftology-ish. And I'm like, it's like baking bread. If you decide not to put yeast in, you could bake bread 10,000 times, but you're not going to get bread any of those times because you missed one ingredient, one little thing. You thought it didn't matter. And so the timing is like that. You mentioned time itself. And so I learned early on, I would see Paul do crazy things for people if they would just take, you know, just for a five minute meeting or a five minute phone call. And I'm like, I don't have unlimited budgets, but if somebody that's worth their time is worth hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of dollars an hour gives me 10 minutes, I'm going to send them a two or $300 Cutco set engraved with their name, their family name, whatever else, a couple knives. And I'm going to handwrite a note that says, thanks for carving out time for me. This is what I got from it. This is what I'm going to do. And I had people that reached out that were worth hundreds of millions of dollars say, John, my best client um, and my best employee and my best vendor doesn't give me a gift as nice as you gave me. And most people want my time for free. Or they want to pick my brain. They want to waste my time. And you honored my time. And you're 22 years old. It just melted their certain. They're like, anytime you want to talk to me, you, here's my cell. You text me. You call me. Like, I just realized that for a couple hundred dollars, but at the right time, acknowledging the asset that they'll never get back, their time. And that most people waste it, I was going to honor it. And so to this day, if somebody gives me five or 10 minutes of time on the plane, at a conference, I, you know, at the blackjack table, I send two, $300 gifts to this day, hundreds of them. And people are like, John, like, I gave you two minutes. And I'm like, your time's worth, you know, like, I, I know that there's times where some of those speakers and some of these authors and some of these guys are going out and speaking for an hour and making 100 or 200 grand. I'm going to honor the two minutes that they gave me in a very thoughtful way. And in doing so, it just makes you rise above. And people are like, two or $300 is a lot of money. I'm like, you'll take somebody out to lunch or dinner or add an extra person on to the, the lunch or the dinner or the bar tab. And you don't think anything of it, that two or $300. I want to spend my two or $300 and melt somebody's face off or help my clients melt their relationships face off. And that's how you can spend less money, but you shift the context of why you're doing it and when you're doing it and all of a sudden two to three hundred dollars on a bar tab is meaningless two to three hundred dollars on an artifact at the right time can be thought of 20 years from now mm -hmm. and that's who wins you know that's such a key point that i'd love for my listeners to really reflect on you know when somebody does give you the gift of their time what is a way to say thank you? And it doesn't have to be a two or three hundred dollar gift, but something that nope. that and, and I love the memorable memorableness of it. 
Uh, I think that's so important. And one of the things that really struck me with your book that I had not thought of before was giving consumable gifts like food. And of course, people have so many food allergies these days, but I used to send those kinds of gifts. And boy, I stopped after reading your book because it, your, your argument against it was so strong. So talk about the kinds of things that you recommend giving versus what you recommend not giving. Yeah. Well, the one thing I would say is no matter what we're sending, the one thing we always do for us and for our clients is there's always a handwritten note that goes with it. Yes. And people are like, John, I, I, can I just type it or can't we send it from Amazon? And I'm like, you know, you want to automate it? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, are relationships automated? And they're like, no. I'm like, well, the, the handwritten note is just as important as what you're sending. In fact, it's more important because it provides thoughtfulness and meaning and context and it, it makes it a personalized experience. So the handwritten note to people are like, oh, John, you're just saying buy expensive. Yes. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm saying be thoughtful and give something that's quality. I, I like to call them practical luxuries. And the reason I like something tangible versus consumable, even just from a marketing perspective, is you send somebody that people will say, well, John, your $200 knife, I'll send a $50 bottle of wine and I'm winning. And I'm like, well, you win for the short term. I'm playing the long game. And I think you are too. Most people think they're playing the long game and they're playing it in days versus decades. And the, like food, a good bottle of wine, let's say it's 50 or 100 bucks, you know, you drink it. If you love it, let's say you love the wine or the person loves the wine, you get one impression from that 50 bucks. You pay $50 for them to think of you one time. That's Now, I go and give something that they use once a day for a year. That's 365 impressions. Over a decade, that's 3,600 impressions. Who's going to win and be more like trusted and top of mind? the person who is using the artifact versus the consumable. So forget the fact that people send, you know, hams to Jewish people or the fact that you send alcohol to somebody whose dad is an alcoholic. They're, like you said, there's so many ways that you can offend people or people are on diets and gluten-free and vegan and all this stuff now. Um, and you're sending, you know, sugar to somebody who's trying to lose weight. That happens all the time. But even all those things removed, the cost, excuse me, the cost per impression we always measure it in every other kind of marketing game that we're playing, but we don't measure it in gifts, and it's a huge mistake. Well, I can testify to that because uh, just so my listeners know, you sent me some knives as a thank you with a wonderful note um, a few years ago because of me, you know, introducing you to some podcast hosts and and um, just sharing your book with so many people and. Just yesterday, when my husband and I were preparing dinner and we were using one of your knives, I said, and I'm interviewing John tomorrow. I'm so excited to get to talk to him. So we, you know, have talked about you numerous times, but it was more personal last night as we were discussing some of the, because what's interesting, the knives as an example of a tangible item, just to reinforce your point, there have been more than one occasion when I'm using your knife and I'm talking about something from your book or something around gift giving with my husband as we're preparing this. So you're a topic of conversation when I'm using the knife a lot of times. And I think, and of course you put my name on it. So I'm never getting rid of that. 
Um, it's, but it's that no. kind of thing. Um, and I want to share one other example to reinforce what you're saying. One of my guests from my podcast from several months ago sent me a couple of really cool ceramic mugs that fit into your hand and it, in such an interesting and unique way. And she said, and she included a note and she said, Meredith, ever since I was on your podcast, I've been looking for just the right gift. And I finally found it. And they were, these were from Alaska. And so, you know, that is the kind of gift that I'll, you know, keep forever because it was so special. And I realized she went to such lengths to find something just right for me. So I want to reinforce the points that you're making. It's well worth not sending something right away that is such a surprise because I think it just imprints on the brain in a stronger way. Yeah. Well, I mean, you think about most people want to get referrals in their business and they want their company to get referrals. And they're like, why am I not getting referrals? And I'm like, well, you know, you might be liked and trusted, but if you're not top of mind and you're not a topic of conversation at the dinner table, the inner circle with friends and family and other places, then you're not going to get the referral. Like people might be, I call it passively loyal where they're stick with you, but they're not going out of their way to talk about you to other people. And I would rather have one actively loyal relationship than a hundred passively loyal relationships that are just sticking around. And, you know, the fact that your husband who's never met me before is talking about me and you're talking about it and other, you know, like it becomes like you have this internal sales champion and other people that are talking and all of a sudden, like you start to make your way into boardrooms and golf course conversations and dinner conversations that you never would all because of that tangible trigger reminding you of the relationship and the likability and all of that. And, you know, it doesn't work. Like I tell people all the time, if you have a sucky business or if you're not a good person, you can't give great gifts and that that's going to like cover all of your sins. But if you have a great business and, and you are a good person or a giver or somebody who's thoughtful, but you've never thought about how to be strategic with it, this is the methodology and the system and the recipe to be able to take who you are as a leader, whether you're a owner or VP of sales or director of marketing, and be able to be thoughtful and strategic, just like you would your marketing plan, your business plan, operations plan. And so it, um, it doesn't work if you have all this other stuff that you need worked on. But if you are, do you have everything dialed in? Like this is the little cherry on top of Sunday that can, you know, completely change the game. Mm-hmm. Well, let's spend a few minutes, a few minutes more on this topic of referrals, because I think that is something that people in business um, do struggle with often. How do I get referrals? What other insights or tips do you have that ca- would cause them to be top of mind so someone would want to refer them without having to be asked to give a referral? Yeah. Yeah, I call, there, we actually have a little course called Referrals Without Asking um, that we created that talks about this. And I think, you know, to, to the point of like, you know, being liked and trusted top of mind, that's like the three, you know, three-legged stool. And some people have one or two, but they don't typically have all three. And one of the reasons that they don't is they don't realize that like, hey, people take for granted. If you're a financial advisor, they take for granted that you're going to be like answer the phone and work with them on their financial plan. If you build homes... They take for granted that the windows are going to be put in straight and all the things you do in your business that are really difficult, they kind of take that for granted, like, because that's what they expect. They're paying a service or a fee or a consulting fee. 
And so it's oftentimes the little things that make somebody just light up. It's like when you go to the restaurant um, and you're spending $300 on a steak dinner with your wife and wine or whatever else, and they find out that you like a certain kind of chocolate and they surprise you with that chocolate for your wife that she loves that's not even on the menu, you go and you brag about what probably cost them two bucks to make, but it's a little detail that says, wow, you know me, you understand me, you, I, like, I feel appreciated and honored. And it's, you know, Seth Godin talks about it as like being the purple cow. It's the remarkable conversation that becomes what people tell. It's a story worth telling. And it's oftentimes little, it's not expensive to your point. And so I think if you want referrals without asking, yes, you have to do a great job with business, but you have to understand psychologically how people think. And you have to find those times consistently where you can exceed expectations. And what we found with gifting specifically is most people think they're a seven out of 10 on gifts and really they're a negative three because nobody ever says, I thought less of you as a person when I got your polo shirt with a logo the size of a softball on it. But that's what they think in their head. They're like, really? I did a hundred grand in business and you're trying to manipulate me and turn me into an advertisement for you. That's how you show gratitude to me. So I think, you know, gifting is one of those areas and gratitude and appreciation that if you can figure out the time where it's a little thing that shows up that says, wow, you know, like I was thinking about you and people will say, John, anything I do, it should be the thought that counts. And I'm like, that's total BS. Like you would never tell your spouse it's the thought that counts with a gift. You'd say, no, it's the thoughtful thought that counts. Mm -hmm. And so I think that if you want to get referrals, then you have to exceed expectations and inspire somebody to say, I want to go get this person business because I feel indebted and gratitude to them to go and advocate on their behalf. And we've had it happen. I have clients where like Brooks Brothers, you know, it's the story in the book, Cameron Harold, we did the Brooks Brothers experience for, and then I gifted him a gift once a quarter for a decade. And people are like, John, why didn't you stop after the $7,000 in Brooks Brothers? And I'm like, because I wanted to show him I was doing it because I wanted to, not because I had to. And when you show up for people powerfully because of choice, because you want to, not because of obligation or expectation, now all of a sudden you're making those deposits. And as human beings, we want to reciprocate back to the people that love us. Mm -hmm. And so I think if you want more referrals, you need to make more consistent deposits in the relationships. And in doing that consistently year after year, you're making, you're building that you know, like Darren Hardy, who's a mentor of mine, it's a compound effect. You're making those deposits and they start to, to create compound interest. And that's where things start to get exciting in year three and year five and year 10. Like I've had some clients for 15, 17 years and they didn't see a great ROI the first six months. They're like, John, is this working? I'm like, is this how you want to show up for people? They're like, yeah. And I'm like, well, then it's working. And, but you have to let the momentum and time build so people realize this is who you are. This isn't a flash in the pan idea. Right. I think that's so important. And what to me you're getting at is what's the motivation or what's the spirit behind you doing this? And if it's with this expectation that something's going to happen as a result of you doing this, um, I think we can get into trouble, right? I think you, you have, it's not a tip yeah. for tat kind of thing. Yeah, if you give some, if you give a gift and put in the note anything about referrals or deals, you just turn that gift into manipulation. You turn you you tainted the gift because now you're like I'm giving because I want you to give me something back, and that's not a gift. That's that's a tit for tat. It's a manipulation. It's hey, I give you this now, give me a referral. Hey, I give you this now, do this. Mm -hmm. Like 
it, it, it's a manipulation in your marriage. It's a manipulation in your business. It's like, not that there's anything wrong about wanting referrals or wanting profitability or wanting your employees to be loyal. Um, but when you can do things with no strings attached, that there's power in that. You can say, I'm giving this to you because of the relationship and you just, you do it no strings attached. You know, if you do that consistently to the right people over time, like it doesn't take that many referrals to pay for a pretty robust gifting plan. Mm -hmm. If you start to do the lifetime value of relationships, a lot of companies are like, yeah, my lifetime value of relationships is a hundred grand or it's 50 grand or it's 25 grand or it's, it's in some cases it's seven figures or eight figures. And I'm like, imagine if you just got an extra five referrals of your ideal client per year. Imagine if your employees wanted to be with you long-term and you didn't have to like keep recruiting and training and dealing with the aftermath of losing good people. Like what would like you lose a good employee? It could cost you five, six, seven figures sometimes. And people don't understand the math of it and understand that most of the time people aren't leaving you because they of price. Though That's like number four of pay is number four on the list. It's usually because they don't feel seen and appreciated. They don't see, they don't feel heard. And so, you know, like when you can start to appreciate people and say, I see you, I hear you. I, I appreciate you. I appreciate your family. I appreciate your spouse, your kids, like that, that inner circle, a lot of the gifting programs that we do, 80% of it is directed not at the executive of the employee. It's taking care of their assistant, their family, their pets. People are like, John, why do you, why do you care what somebody's wife or husband's name is? And I'm like, because I want them to think of me and talk about my client every single time, every day. Because if they have a bad day at work or you know, there's an opportunity over dinner, I want them to bring up the relationship of who gave that amazing gift. And if that happens where the inner circle loves you, a lot of good things start to happen, having that internal champion, whether it's an employee relationship or a client relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was part of the who that I wanted to ask you about, because I, I just loved that also in your book and just what you're saying here, that the individual that you're doing business with isn't necessarily the person you target or focus on um, with your gift. So explain no. why, why you expanded that um, idea besides it being just that one individual. Well, I think in, in a lot of companies, like we have clients where they're like, hey, they're, they're working with IT departments or marketing teams or multiple divisions. And oftentimes it's like, oh, I just want to do something for the CEO. But the CEO gets the best bourbon, the best wine, the best, you know, travels first class or private, gets to stay at the Hilton or Gulf Pebble Beach. Like I think about, like I, I run a small company. I get treated like a king when I travel and I get treated like a king in business. Guess who doesn't get treated like a king? My wife, my kids, my, my three assistants, like. If somebody wants to get to me, they could invest $100 in my team and have it be like $10,000 for me. And I love my team getting treated well because I, you know, I want them to be well treated. And oftentimes I'm traveling and whatever else. So I realized early on, if, you know, if a client is big enough, I'll send, like we have some clients um, that one of their clients is big enough where they'll send out 30 gifts to one company. And they're like, John, is, you know, is that a waste? And I'm like, you're taking care of not just the CEO, you're taking care of the assistant, you're taking care of the junior level marketing person that's going to get recruited away five years from now and is going to be at another company and they're going to bring you, you know, to that new company and they're going to, you're going to double in size just because you took care of people that normally were treated like second class citizens. And so obviously the math has to make sense. If you're going to send 30 gifts to one company, it needs to be a large client for somebody. But I realized like when you can start to take care of people inside a company, 
and take care of their spouse who oftentimes is ticked that they're going golfing or going on some boondoggle to Vegas or, you know, during, you know, before COVID, there's a lot of these sponsorships and trips and golf and yeah. fishing trips and whatever else where the spouse is holding down the fort and the other person's getting treated like gold. I'm like, let's reverse the script here. Let's take care of spouses. Let's take care of kids. Let's take care of assistants. And when you do that, now all of a sudden you have a bunch of internal advocates and champions saying, I want to see this company win. I want to see this company get cross-selled and, and open up a, an opportunity at the board meeting or at the water cooler. All of a sudden, another division starts using the software, the service, or whatever else. And why? Is it because the CEO? No, the CEO's off doing his thing or his her, her thing. The VP of sales? No, they're not. They're like, they're off. It's oftentimes the, you know, the people that would be like, gatekeepers or underlings i'm like don't treat the people like underlings they're still a human being treat them like a peer and in doing that like we did it with the orlando magic i landed teams all around the nba because of how not how i treated the ceo alex martins it was because i sent the same gift to cheyenne his assistant i treated her like, like a peer not a pawn and because of that she went and sold other opportunities for us because she was like nobody treats me this way and John didn't like ask for anything or manipulate me. Like he's not, he's just making deposits and treating me like a human being. And so our best clients, I get them to redirect 80% of what they would say is for executives or clients or whatever else. And I'm like, Hey, you got to find out their spouse's name. You got to find out their assistant's name. How big account is this? Is there other people that we could appreciate and bring into the fold? And if they're not willing to do that homework, as we lay out what I call the relationship plan, then we won't take them on as a client because that to me is how you can spend less money and have 10 times, a hundred times, a thousand times more impact. Well, I would love for you to spend a couple minutes talking about some examples of gifts that you've given because they're so creative. You know, you're, you kind of made my head explode in, in your book with some of the things you came out with and some of the things I've read, you know, on your blog and in other places. For someone who's a small business owner, can you give some examples? Because I know you've given some very exotic gifts, but let's yeah. think of some that might not be such high ticket items that still had that emotional impact that you're talking about. Yeah. Well, what I would say is that whether you're a million dollar company, half million dollar company or $5 billion company, the goal is to make this a math equation. In almost every other part of our businesses, we have metrics and numbers and percentages and for whatever reason relationship building and gifting seems to be like the redheaded stepchild that's like hey we made money this year and they throw some random number in december at the you know the assistant say hey go buy gifts for all of our clients or all of our employees and they end up dividing the client list by whatever the you know the five or ten thousand dollar budget and i'm like if you have money to go invest in trade shows or facebook ads or whatever else or hire employees then you probably have numbers that you just haven't thought about how to take money from over here and redirect it towards relationships. It's, you know, it's cool to do Facebook ads. You know, you start dropping five grand on knives and people are like, man, that's weird. Is that going to work? So the idea of doing something like that really like, you know, can challenge even a small or even a large business owner say, that seems weird. I'm like, it works because it is weird. If everybody was an amazing gift giver, it wouldn't work. And so some of the things that we've done, you know, I realized when I'm out at an event or whatever else, like I, I, my first event was a rotary event when I was like 21 years old. And I realized whether you had a, a million dollar company or a billion dollar company, everybody had the same business card. 
And so I'm like, I want to communicate that little things like gifts matter. So I started, I, I had this goal of having a dollar business card and people thought I was nuts. But I eventually found ones that were made out of metal. They were a dollar a piece and it changed conversations like radically to where now our, our business cards are three bucks and people are like, that's it. That's expensive. And I'm like, you'll spend $20 on a brochure that nobody cares about and they throw it away as soon as you leave a meeting. I'll save myself 17 bucks and, and spend $3 on a business card that communicates, wow, little things in, in this person, this company has details dialed in. And we realized like it was working, like it shifted conversations, like to the point where we pass out thousands of these metal business cards. Now I realized like, in, two, in 2020, how often do you get a handwritten note? It's rare. Um, you get text messages, you get Facebook messages, TikTok messages, like all the digital stuff. So a few, a number of years ago, we're like, I'm going to invest in a sheet of steel. It costs nine bucks. Any business, even a college kid I've seen invest $9 in letterhead. Here's why. Getting a handwritten note is rare. We write on it with a Sharpie. You get a handwritten note on a piece of steel. It's remarkable. It's a purple cow. It's a story worth telling. I see people framing these things. They talk about it for, they never throw it away. And so people will say, oh, John, I'll go spend $18 on a flashlight from China. I'm like, it's going to be gone in three months at best. I'd rather save nine bucks, invest $9 in a sheet of steel, and write on it with a Sharpie. So it's, it's shifting the conversation in the context. I would rather go find something, instead of buying a $500 watch for people um, that are wearing Rolexes, they're not going to take your Seiko watch and take off their Rolex and wear your Seiko watch, even though you spent 500 bucks on it. I would rather go spend $75 on a handmade leather luggage tag with brass and personalization and just like dialed into the nines. Why? Most people have a 50 cent luggage tag and you give them a $75 luggage tag and it will outperform the $500 watch and you'll save yourself a ton of money because you went into a category where most people have a sucky option and you give them something that's handmade, world-class, thoughtful, useful, and personalized to them, their family, their spouse. And now you're, you're spending less money to go best in class in a particular category. That's why the knives work. Most people have the set they got when they got married from Bed Bath & Beyond or Target. It's from 10 to 50 years ago. And you give them one knife for 200 bucks and it outperforms the $2,000 watch. Why? Because if we went into a category where most people have a not great option and you personalized it and it was best in class, it was useful, it included the family and it had a handwritten note. It followed all the elements of the recipe but making sure you're doing something that's best in class in that category or redirect those dollars into something else because we don't need more stuff. We don't need more mediocre options. In America and really worldwide, most affluent people are getting rid of stuff. And so being really thoughtful with one thing versus being mediocre and sending four things is, is our methodology is go all in on, all in on the one. And don't have to spend that much money, but go all in on a category where you can be the category of one. And when you do that, people are like, I would never go buy a $75 luggage tag for myself or a $200 knife or whatever it is. But man, I'm really glad I have one. And my spouse loves it. And we use it every day. Like that's the secret sauce. That's how you can spend less and have way more impact. Mm -hmm. And I'll just share a couple of quick examples with you that um, when I was a, a guest, on podcasts, I've come up with something to give. And one of them was um, a travel mug 
that was really neat mm-hmm. looking. And one of the hosts that I sent it to said, my daughter confiscated it because she's middle school age. And she said, this is really cool. My friends will be jealous. <laughs> so it had that emotional that, connection. That's awesome. And another host that yeah. I sent it sent one to told me just recently, and I interviewed with him a few years ago. He said, I still haven't used your mug all the time. So it's that, you know, it's reinforcing what you've been saying. Um, with some female yeah. uh, hosts, I've sent the reusable shopping bags that are colorful and cloth and you fold them up mm. and they use those a lot over time. So you can use, if you yeah. talk about things that people actually will use, and you said something earlier, I want to um, have you reinforce as we kind of wrap up here. And that is not putting your own logo on gifts that you give. Talk about why that's oh, a yeah. good idea. It, well, you, would you ever go, nobody on the planet, even the tackiest person on the planet would never go to some, their best friend's wedding and engrave their own name on the wedding gift, like compliments of John Rulin. Like that'd be the, on the Tiffany's vods. It could be the cheesiest thing in the world. Like, why would you do that? Like, you'd make it all about the couple, their name, their wedding date. And in business, for whatever reason, every brand and marketing book's like, you got to put your logo on. I'm like, if there's a logo on it that's your own, then it's not a gift. It's a promotional item. Even I've seen Rolexes, like Domino's gave out Rolexes to a bunch of their franchises. Like, how could you give a $10,000 watch wrong? Well, on the white face, um, they, on Air King, they put the Domino's logo. Well, guess what happened? They went and traded them in at a pawn shop or at a resale shop. Why? Because even if you work at Domino's, do you really want a Rolex with your logo on it? Probably not. And so the idea, a gift should be have their, like, it doesn't matter if it's knives or bags or whatever else. Like, if you can personalize it with their name, their spouse's name, their family name, and make it all about them, if you give a world-class gift that actually gets used, it's not a trinket from China, it's not some swag item, then subconsciously, like, I have people that reach out all the time. like, John, I still have your knives, and it's been 15 years. Subconsciously, they remember where it came from. Now, if you give crappy gifts that are mediocre, then sure. You know, if it's a T-shirt, put your logo on it. But don't think that it's a gift. It's not connecting. Like, we all make decisions in business emotionally about how we feel about a brand and a company. Mm-hmm. And if you want to connect at that deep emotional level, then you need to connect from one human to the other. Like putting your logo on it is actually like trying to manipulate the other person, even if they don't realize it subconsciously. It's like, this isn't a gift. This is them trying to get branding and marketing out of it. And the likelihood of that person keeping it or using it, it goes way down. The likelihood of it going to goodwill goes up 100x because people don't want to wear your logo. They want to wear their own. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or even like, I don't even wear giftology stuff. Like I, I, like my wife, like we get too much stuff with giftology on. It's like at some point, like, you just want to be a human, not a brand. And so I think that understanding like what makes a human, especially an affluent, successful human tick is oftentimes their family, their legacy, their faith, their, their kids. And leave the logo off of it. If, if, I don't care what you're giving. Leave the logo off of it unless it adds value. Like the Cubs will put their logo on things. Why? Well, people pay a lot of money for the Cubs logo. Mm-hmm. But what I'll say is the higher up the food chain we go when we're gifting for the Cubs, the smaller the logo gets. Because it gets, you know, people don't want a basketball size logo on it. They want it to be tone on tone and, and understated. Even when it adds value to it, it still needs to be done the right way or else you can ruin it. Mm-hmm. Excellent point. Well, John, tell my listeners how they can connect with you, learn more about 
where they can get your wonderful book, as well as yeah. um, that free course you were talking about on getting referrals and your other services. Yeah. Well, I would say that, you know, if you don't have a, if you have a business plan, a finance plan, but you don't have a relationship plan, like that's number one, like defining who you're going to send things to, when, why, how we, if we do it, it costs five to 10 grand to walk people through that and develop a plan. Most people are like, I, you know, a small business, maybe they want to do it, maybe they don't, but if they want to do it on their own, they can go to giftologysystem.com and download the exact same blueprint that we take our clients through and charge thousands of dollars. No cost, just opt in, go to it. And then we also send them like the 10 worst gifts to avoid giving. We send them really like our best articles that we've written over the last 20 years in Forbes and Inc. and, you know, Fast Company and those sorts of things. Because at the end of the day, like, yes, they can go buy the book, which is awesome. But I want people to start taking action on developing that plan and, you know, take, take advantage of the free resources. Giftology is available mainly on Amazon. Um, it's available globally. It's in other languages. Uh, you can download on Audible, you can Kindle. Uh, we only now sell, ironically enough, the hardcover. I realized that how people get the book matters. And so we got rid of the paperback and we spend 300% more on our hardcover because I want somebody when they receive a book that, that people do judge a book by its cover. And even our books now are all kind of at that same level. And what, even if you buy it on Amazon. And then if you want to email me direct, my, my email is here you know, on the screen. That's my personal email. Um, I won't be your giftologist. My team walks people through things. You don't want me handling the details. I'm the vision relationships guy. Like I, I have people that take care of things, but, uh, but that is my personal email. John at giftology group, uh, com is my personal email. I'm happy to, to respond to people and connect with you to the right uh, people and resources on this. Great. Yes. And I recommend people um, do opt in on your site because I'm on your mailing list and I really enjoy your emails. You know, you share a lot of really good nuggets that are beyond what you talk about in the book, but they're still all about relationship building, which is so key to, you know, how I like to do business too. So John, thank you so much for uh, being my guest and sharing your wonderful wisdom. I want to encourage my listeners to think of how they can become radically generous with um, their own clients and in their own work, because I think that it, that just makes a huge difference. So thank you again for being with me. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to the Strong for Performance podcast. Now head over to growstrongleaders.com to learn how our tools can increase your impact with clients and expand your business. And while you're there, grab our free ebook, The Five Secrets to Getting Better at Anything. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell. Make it a great day.